Welcome to Trinity Radio. I am Braxton Hunter, and over there across from me in the same room on a different window is Jonathan Pritchett. And with us together is again, just like last week, um, we actually had Steve McRae on last Friday, but we had IP on earlier in the week. And he's back again. IP, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to do this. Yeah, so um, we've got uh, somebody in the Muslim world who watched, uh, there was at least one Muslim who watched your debate with um, uh, Daniel. And uh, it seems like it's in full damage control after that maybe, debate maybe. because yeah. not a lot of people it were happy with a lot of damage control. Yeah, not a lot of people were happy with the way that turned out. Mm-hmm. Except for us, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. there might be some people that, that are saying that they're happy about it on the other side, that poor Michael just got embarrassed. But I'm looking at Michael and I've never seen him yeah, be more happy. Everyone that I've seen says Michael just is a kind of a bloodbath and it wasn't yeah. pretty. And yeah. But there is a, a Muslim channel out there called Quran and Bible blog that has a YouTube channel as well. They've got a few thousand subscribers and they have made just a series of four videos on this debate and on Michael Jones. And, you know, oh, they're angry not- bird, Michael Jones. I, I have to. I am so sorry. I actually thought it was kind of cute with your head on the angry bird. It was adorable. But you know what? I texted him. I texted him and I said, uh, I said to him, I said, you need to take this as a. Uh, if I were you, I would totally embrace the title "The Angry Bird" yeah. and act like this guy was such a fan. He gave you this awesome code. Yeah, name. because so. I mean, look, you and I have been memed a lot by people who hate our guts. You're an angry bird. Yeah, and I, I totally embrace. When I get memed by, like, I, I used to, especially when it was all those angry Calvinists that kept memeing me and Leighton Flowers. I always shared them. I was like, look how awesome this is. Yeah, it's like thank you for understanding that I matter the so angry much. Bird. You know, I, I am pleased to always matter that much. It's funny because I like it's it's supposed to be an insult. I I've said before I said this to David Wood. I'm like Muslim need to hire some comedy writers because they're not really good at this. Like they're giving yeah. me a badass code name and it's like, oh look at him, he's angry. Are you, are you okay, asserting yeah. that Muslim apologists can't meme? Are you saying no, they, they can't, can't meme? meme at all? <laughs> they can't meme. They're no kind of they're kind of like the left well, can't meme. <clears throat> all right, Brax, so you don't know I, the half of yeah. it. This guy okay, has done a ton of videos where he lies about what I've said, takes things out of context, responds to like little TikTok videos I did. Like he did, I did a TikTok video once showing that uh, often in the Bible when you see the word hate, like Jesus says, if you follow me, you hate your father and mother. It's he's using it hyperbole, like hyperbolic, sure. or I have loved Jacob and hated Esau. The guy responds and he's like, uh, no, hate means what it does. It doesn't mean love less. Dude, do you know how hyperbole works? If I said I saw a car flying down the road, I didn't change the definition of flying to driving. It's hyper hyperbole. And no. scholars will note when you see this, you know, Douglas Moo, for example, he they're using the word hate hyperbolic. So he's done a lot of these to try to get attention and we'll throw him a little bit and then we'll just ignore him. But uh Constantly taking what I'm saying out of context, straw manning me, and then claiming I'm the one who lied, which is really ironic. But because he's trying to do the damage control for Daniel Hakikachu and once again defend child marriage and the abuse of children, it's time to deal with this nonsense because it's it's sad how desperate Muslims are going to try to defend the, child marriage, which we know the IP bat signal went up. 
with Daniel Hakikachu. I hope I'm saying that right. And apparently it's still up. So should we go? Let's go into this uh, other space yeah, here. Just, Michael Green says, what's up to Hunter and Mike? Doesn't say hi to me, real, but I'll say hi to Michael Green, even though y'all didn't uh, even acknowledge him. Just so everyone <laughs> knows, Daniel Hakikachu did his post-debate review yesterday on his channel. And I'm planning I'd probably Monday on my channel to go through like the first uh, the first section of it, not the uh, the uh, ending where they had Christians call in. But it was so bad. Uh, he claimed he had a physician on with him uh, and they made numerous scientific errors, uh, numerous uh, problems. At one point, they're trying to hide research and I had to find the study they were referring to. And when I read it, it did not say what they were saying it said. So I'm going to go through and expose all this because, once again, I'm not going to let them get away with promoting the harm of children Praise by promoting child marriage. And not, I'm not going to let them do this. And they made numerous – they got racist at one point and started attacking Ethiopians. It was really, really bad. So that's coming up if anyone's interested. But uh, this guy we're going to respond to today was uh, mentioned by Daniel Hakikachu. So this is the perfect time. Oh, okay. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into it with a discussion of numbers thirty. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Many of you may have watched the recent debate between our brother Daniel Hakikatju and the punk Christian apologist Michael Jones. Who I like to <laughs> the punk, <laughs> the punk, punk Christian apologist. You are punk, Ooh. man. Punk rock. That's awesome. I'll... Yeah, you are. Punk. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I told you, they're not. Michael good. Jones is they punk are rock, not man. Good with... They are not. Everything good he with says me. makes you sound more awesome. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're not that good. Punk bird. There it is. Yes. The angry <laughs> bird. I was imagining so more of a hawk, but uh, you know. You know what? You know what? You know what that does? You you I mean, we hurl at Michael Jones and it knocks down stuff. That's what the whole game is about. Yeah, yeah. What are you Watching talking about? Debate myself, I felt the need to make some reaction videos, mostly on the rather weak and brief appeals to the Bible that Jones made. Unfortunately, I don't think Brother Daniel pressed Jones as aggressively as he should have on the Bible. He let him off pretty easily. So let's destroy Jones and his Bible. Ooh. Jones was wise enough to comment on the infamous passage in Numbers 31, where Moses commanded the Israelites Pause to kill right all there. the Midianite women. Yeah, and yeah. Young... So, just he admitted Daniel did not do well in the debate because he didn't press me, uh, and he also admitted I was wise to bring up Numbers 31. So again, as I've noted, this is all... You are a truth. wise, punk, angry bird, man. <laughs> we have the makings of a great rap song here <laughs> but spare the female children as wives note that to his credit Jones did not deny that these girls were taken as child brides unlike other dishonest Christian missionaries but he attempted to shift the blame from his God to poor Moses I suspect he'll go to Numbers 31 where Moses tells Israel to kill all the Midianites but keep the young girls for themselves and I suspect Daniel will argue God was permitting Israelites to take virgin child brides. But scholars like Robert Alter and Paul Kofin note this was not a command from God. The text says this is Moses acting on his own out of anger. In the chapter, God only commands Israel to make war on Midian. And after that, Moses becomes angry and tells Israel to go one step further without God's involvement. Moreover, in doing this, Moses violates the principles of Deuteronomy 20, which says to not kill the livestock, women, and children in war. So Moses' anger caused him to order something that God directly argued against in Deuteronomy. And as we find out later, Moses' anger eventually got the best of him. It's a clever argument, but one that ultimately fails. As Tom Stark observes in his book, 
the human faces of God. Later in the same chapter, Yahweh himself gives explicit instructions about what to do with the remaining virgins. So if the command was from Moses, Yahweh still accepted it and endorsed it. So he does not get you off the pause it. Yeah. yeah, and before you jump into that, I just want to say we will probably privilege Super Chats today, and we'll get to most of those at the end. Thank you, Jim Amberg, who never wants to be mentioned, but thank you for uh, <coughs> your Super Chat. And I'll be saving those as we go, and, and I, we'll try to get to other questions if, depending on how it goes. All right, uh, Michael, go for it. Yeah, so he's trying to say that God endorsed it because he gave instructions on what to do with the plunder after. Uh, this is false. Uh, God often works with the sin of humans in the Bible. For example, God told the uh, Abraham that the seed would come through Isaac, and he did not tell him to sleep with Hagar and have Ishmael. Yet God blesses Ishmael eventually. Uh, God did not tell Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery to Egypt. But then we read in Genesis 50, you intended to harm me, okay? Okay. Uh, uh, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive. So we see constantly throughout biblical texts, God taking the sin of humans and then using it for good or working with that. Okay, we, we see this constantly throughout kings, for example. Uh, when the kings make bad decisions, God works with those and restructures the plan. First Samuel 8, a very, very uh, important passage where uh, the Israelites go to Samuel and we want a king. And God says, this is a bad idea, but I'll work with it. And what happens? Well, then we get King David. And the, uh, the Messiah comes through the line of David. So th just because God deals with humans in their sin and works with the aftermath, that doesn't mean he's endorsing the sin. So this is just taking biblical theology wildly out of its context to try yeah, to more force examples. it to say that God's with it. Yeah, there's more examples yeah, than that. We, we, we talk, you, can look at, you can look at what God did to Egypt, for example, to think, uh, to get a sense of what God thinks of slavery. And yet there were... There, there was some form of slavery allowed in Israel, but yet with an overwhelming number of regulations about it unknown in the ancient world anywhere else uh, to, you know, to try to. But that doesn't that's not an endorsement. The regulation mm -hmm. is something that, that God gives a punishment for murder doesn't mean that he endorses the murder that, you know, he forbids in the Ten Commandments. So we, we see this kind of thing all the time. This, this shouldn't surprise us that God is going to try to restrain evil knowing that people are going to do certain things. And I do like your example uh, talking about don't have a, you know, you don't want a king because they're going to overtax you. They're going to hoard all of the wealth for themselves and all this kind of stuff. And if you read the Chronicles and Kings, you find out that uh, other than what Hezekiah, a little bit of Josiah and David, they pretty much hated all the Kings and, you know, they'll say this king died and everyone was happy. You know, <laughs> they're just honest about it. They're like, they're not fans of it. But God did allow them to have that and said, well, this you're going to, you're not going to like it, but go for it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, all right, here we go. Endorsed child rights, period. Furthermore, it is rather silly to say that Yahweh gets no blame since he perhaps only tolerated Moses' sin. The problem is this would be confusing descriptions with permissions. The Bible describes things that happened in the past without claiming they were good actions. God often tolerated the sin of the prophets and the patriarchs and never claimed their actions were morally good. Murdering thousands of people and handing out female children as wives is a pretty atrocious sin. Yahweh was willing okay, to kill Moses for far less. What is this children's book? I wonder where that came from. Well, probably some weird atheist. Uh, so one thing, uh, this guy likes to cite later rabbinic literature when it's convenient for him. Uh, let's... Kedushin, for example, 
uh, Kedushin in the Babylonian Talmud says, kept alive for yourselves in Numbers 31, men as slave, not for marriage. So according to this later rabbinic interpretation, no, they were not being taken as like these child brides. And again, read the context if we read the prior chapters of Numbers. Why did Moses want the women killed? Because those were the ones that Israel was sleeping with. But these, these, child, these children here, uh, you can bring them into Israel and use them for household servants or slaves, according to later rabbinic literature. Or, you know, uh, why? Because Israel wasn't sleeping with them. They did not view them as if these were the type of girls you should be sleeping with, let alone marrying. Uh, and again, the chapter never actually says wives. Uh, so even, so it just says you keep them alive for yourselves. The same language we see in Deuteronomy 20, when it says bring back the livestock and the people that have not been killed for yourselves. So no, uh, reading that into the text, uh, we just know that they were brought into Israel. We don't have a lot of details with it. And again, there is no evidence this comes from God. Uh, this is Moses acting on his anger. And we can get to that next if you guys want to. In Exodus 4. Only the intervention of Moses' wife saved his life from a vengeful Yahweh, apparently performing a quick circumcision on her son and placing this bloody foreskin at Moses' feet was enough to save his life. Whatever sin Moses was guilty of, surely it paled in comparison to what he did. Right, let's appreciate okay. this for a minute. So, <laughs> so we have the sin of killing thousands and taking child brides versus a sin atoned by blood, pe blo bloody penile tissue, I think he means. Yeah. So well, you go ahead. Yeah. Well, Exodus four is up to a lot of scholarly debate. Is it Moses isn't circumcised? Is it the, the son isn't son. circumcised? There is a lot of debate. But like William C. Prop uh, argues for this. He said he proposes, uh, for example, where is it here that um, yeah the uh, this is uh, because Moses because uh, because he committed involuntary manslaughter in Egypt earlier. Uh, this is an expiation for a sin. So it, I would say it's two things. This is actually where uh, God is still angry about the fact that he committed murder. So it's kind of on relation, as William H.C. Prout notes. But also, I mean, he's not he's supposed to go back and lead the people of Israel, and he's not partaking in the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, this is a very mm -hmm. important issue. If he's going to be representing God, he needs to be an, a an adequate representative of the line of Abraham. So there's a lot going on there. And again, this is a huge scholarly debate. To bring this up is... You're, you're treading on odd water. It's like Genesis 9 with uh, Noah and his drunkenness and the curse. There's a lot of stuff going on there that scholars still debate about. So you can't mm. say uh, there's definite things going on here, especially with whose foreskin this is referring to. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's keep trucking. The Midianites. That is, of course, if it was even a sin. There's no indication that Yahweh saw it as such. And as for the Angry Birds appeal to Deuteronomy 20, Claiming that Moses violated the command to spare the, the angry bird. population of a city, Jones was ignorant of his own Bible. Simply put, Deuteronomy 20 does not apply to the battle against the Midianites. First of all, the law only applied, as stated in verse 15, to the nations that are very far from you. The Midianites were actually very close by. Plus, the whole reason right, for right. fighting the Midianites was to wreak vengeance. Okay, you say so pause it? Yeah, this okay. is, yeah, so a couple things here. Uh... The Torah isn't a law code, as scholars like John Walton, Michael Lefebvre have noted. I did a video called The Misunderstood Mosaic Law, where I point this out. It's more akin to Proverbs, if anything. It's about giving guiding principles for how Israel is supposed to reflect the holiness of Yahweh and justice in the Middle East. Uh, people constantly want to call it a law, but it's more akin to things like Code of Lipid Ishtar, Code of Hammurabi, Middle Assyrian laws, and that relation. And I cover that in that 
in that video for so and again it's about the principles that we see so you know as i put it up in a quote from my debate from dennis t olson's commentary the holy war instruction from deuteronomy 20 seemed to be those operative in the minds of the israelite commanders in numbers 31 okay so there is a relationship here in terms of the principles here again if you're in a war you don't kill these people you bring them back and moses again goes against these principles notice i said principles in the debate not laws so yeah this is this really does seem to go against the ideal uh, understanding of dealing with these types of wars uh you can't treat this like a law because again as most scholars today will recognize it just wasn't viewed that when this was being written and you brought that out in the debate right and i think we discussed it last week yeah yeah we discussed it in the review last week this is just not a these aren't law codes these are uh guidance you can derive uh, it's like it's like proverbs sometimes you can derive commands from them sometimes you can't sometimes you derive principles uh that's often how things like the code of hammurabi would function there's a great book called exploring the composition of the pentateuch where they cover this and they point out in that book in one of the chapters that often judges you know the, the pentateuch talks about judges having to make decisions on certain matters but why are you just supposed to consult the pentateuch or the torah on this no it they understood that the Pentateuch was not laying down laws. It was laying down principles and guidance. And again, mm -hmm. check out John Walton's book, also The Lost World of the Torah. It's really good. Mm. All right. The justification was to blame the Midianites for enticing the Israelites to commit idolatry and intermarriage. In Numbers 25, Phineas even kills an Israelite and his Midianite wife, an act that earns him praise from Yahweh. So the Israelites could not spare the Midianite women as per the rule in Deuteronomy 20. That rule did not so pause it there that's not the same thing because they were violating the sacred space of the tabernacle uh that that was it wasn't because she was a midian or a midianite uh it's because they violated so he's taking this out of context um also um people have brought up this idea that god does not get like um punish moses in numbers 31 well paul copen for example notes this happens a lot with the patriarchs like noah's drunkenness abraham trying to sell his wife to pharaoh or give his wife to Pharaoh. Uh, and also, if you read the context, Moses was already doomed to die at this point. He's already basically said in Numbers 20 that, you know, you violated some issues. You got angry. You, you know, became prideful. Robert Alter talks about this in his commentary. Therefore, you're not going to lead the people in Israel. You're going to die before that. So you need to finish your tasks, getting the Israelites ready, and then you're going to go up on the mountain and die. So he's already under the doom of death. God is, what is God going to punish him even more? I mean, he's... he's like he's already a sinful man. He's already made mistakes. He's already acted out in anger. He's, you know, and he's not showing any sign of repentance here. This is perfect uh, ground for God to not. This is perfect ground for God to restate the doom on Moses at the end of Deuteronomy 32, and not do something like he did with what Hezekiah, where Hezekiah repented and then he got an extra life extended. Uh, Moses does not appear repentant for his anger or his pride. He seems to double down throughout the rest of the Pentateuch. So it's just once again uh, makes sense that God once again does not reverse his decision and just Deuteronomy 32 says, yep, you're, you're going to be doomed to die because you're, you're still acting like this. So at the end of the day, both Yahweh and Moses are culpable for the mass murder and forced child marriage in Numbers 31. No. <laughs> what, why is why is Chris Hansen here again? Is it Chris Hansen? Is that what you say? Yeah, because I used him in the debate. And you used him in the debate to, because he's the guy that always showed up Whenever yeah, someone was a, arranged to yeah. meet a minor and then they'd show up, to, he was there with a plate of cookies. To, and then I think he, to did catch he up. get into some trouble? I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. I don't know. To, I don't know. He should start, you know, someone should do a show to catch a prophet. 
<laughs> with, with Muhammad. You're gonna you're gonna do great with the dad jokes, IP. <laughs> Chris Hansen would like for you to take a seat. Take a seat right over there as we dive in. Evan Jones, strong opposition to child marriage. I'd say he should throw his Bible away. You're finished. <laughs> finished. You gonna throw your Bible away, IP? Well, if you only take his very odd interpretation where he constantly quote minds things and takes things out of context. But yeah, that's typical with this guy. Um, and he's supposed to be the Quran and Bible blog. I mean, don't, we saw he takes a lot of stuff out of context. And you'll see, uh, you know, I decided Kedushin, for example, later he's going to try to attack me because I'm not using rabbis when it's convenient for him. But, you know, he's got that sort of double standard. All right, where do you want to go from here, IP? We've got a couple well, more videos from this guy. Well, I want to show that he does a short one right after this, um, and I want to show uh, his, dishonest his dishonest tactic here. Uh, is this the one that, that he argues that Yahweh is a hypocrite? Yep. All right, here we go. The problem is this will be confusing descriptions with permissions. The Bible describes things that happened in the past without claiming they were good actions. God often tolerated the sin of the prophets and the patriarchs and proclaimed their actions were morally good. According to the angry bird, Michael Jones, his God proclaimed the prophets were morally good when in fact they were not. Did I hear that right? God often tolerated it. the sin of the Um, I misspoke. Uh, I meant, I forgot to say not when I was reading that. Um, but this is, you can, if you see my statement in the full context, it, it makes sense in context, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, but of course this is the dishonesty with some of these Muslim apologists. They just look for whatever they can. And to give a comparison in Daniel Hakikichu's post debate review last night, his uh, co-host said that Daniel sometimes misspoke. Were you supposed to say monarchy when he said puberty or vice versa? I don't see this guy making videos on how Daniel clearly is contradicting himself. No, it's, well, I he wants to get used. He wants to get they views, so he's 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 going to feature you, which is I mean we want to get views. That's why we were happy to have you come on because you're a, a ratings booster. Yeah, I put up one of our critics. But why would he review a video of a guy he said kind of admitted lost in the last video? <laughs> right, Good and point. someone said at the beginning they're like, "Hey, uh, I bet this episode will have like three times the normal views." And of course it will. Right. That's 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 one of the benefits of, of this situation. I mean, look at look at Michael Jones, charitable, giving handouts to the he's so to he's the so YouTube benevolent. bottom feeders like us. The angry bird, <laughs> Mister the Angry Bird is Mister so, Angry Bird is so kind uh, to. Let's keep going to those of us lower yeah. beneath him. It's in the patriarchs and proclaimed their actions were morally good. Yep, that's what it sounds like. So, according to this specimen. His God was a hypocrite. Now, hang on. He pause there. Him. Specimen is what you call somebody that you're attracted to, by the way. Like, that's, man, that's a fine <laughs> specimen. So, you know, I mean, you, you know, know. It's funny. You know, he does do a lot of videos on me. I, people have said uh, I live rent-free in his head, and he's got Jones derangement syndrome. So, I mean. <laughs> I just wish there was a better picture without the pixelation here, but. Now, we work with what now we got. my wife is from Arkansas, as am I, and that might be just a, something like, "Honey, you're a fine specimen, you know, of a man." No, I think something. I think I could. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take up for this guy. I could say about Pritchett. Pritchett is a fine specimen without indicating any physical attraction to you. Okay, you and my wife both agree. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. That that comparison. All right, let's keep going. Actions of the prophets as morally good, when he was actually just tolerating their sinful deeds. He was saying things 
that he did not believe. Let's put this in perspective and look at the sins of the biblical prophets. They range from incest, mass murder, theft, and sex slavery and forced marriage. And yet, each and every one of these atrocious sinners, people who would rightly be called the worst examples in humanity, are actually called righteous or men of God throughout the Bible. The biblical Abraham, who married his half-sister, is righteous. The biblical Lot, who was a drunkard and slept with his daughters, is righteous. The biblical David, who was a raider, mass murderer, and practitioner of sex slavery, evidently did right in the eyes of the Lord. And of course Moses, who ordered the mass murder of women and children, and the forced marriage of virgin girls, is a man of God. By the way, according to 1 Timothy, a man of God pursues righteousness and godliness. How does this Okay, you sense? can pause it there. Okay, do you, do you see how he basically just debunked himself? According to 1 Timothy, a, a righteous means per, pursue godliness. Does it mean you're perfect? Right. Uh, uh, guys, when people are called righteous in the Bible, put it in context. Um, can you go back, just put that verse back on the screen? Yeah, let's... This one? Pursue righteous. A man of God pursues righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfast. Okay, again, it, it's defined as someone who sort of is pursuing these things, but they still mess up. They still make errors. I mean, the Bible. When, when you know the Bible calls people righteous, it, it put it in context with Romans three twenty three. All have still fallen, uh, all have still sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus is known as perfect, but God. So. Righteous does not mean in biblical context that you are perfect and you never sin. Yeah, and, 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 and sometimes it's it's in comparison to other people, like even Israel, within Israel you have the righteous and the unrighteous. You'll have Israel itself being declared righteous in, compar in, co in comparison to the nations, yeah. even, even when Israel's, you know, are a good segment of its in rebellion. Or it can refer to righteous... Like righteous in a particular instance, you're in the right, as yeah, opposed yeah. to uh, so. I mean to to and, yeah. to simplify that, as in these people, because they were called righteous, means there's they were a, perfect a positive affirmation of everything they ever did is absurd and doesn't. This do, is one of the yeah. wonderful things uh, about this faith is that, and I actually believe it's true. I'm not just believing it because I would like it to be true, although I am pleased that it's true. Is that when I look at my life, I, I know what goes on up here, and I know that there that I'm not as good as everyone else might think I am, and that's true of most people, if not everyone. And I like to. It's nice to know that the heroes of the faith in biblical history were people that had um, flaws, mistakes, ones that, mm -hmm. from the perspective of a modern person, were bigger than the ones in my life. Not, but you know, but we're all sinners, and uh, Romans three twenty three is true. So, uh, yeah, I think I think that's an important spread we've got there and so uh yeah. should if we you keep want trucking to go to here the, uh, we... well this one's let me address this one pretty well let's okay. go to the one on ezekiel 16 because uh, that's right. the one i really want to get to um yeah I, I didn't have a lot of time to to, to cover what i wanted into the debate uh so this will be great to cover more because i got a lot of stuff to say on ezekiel 16. okay uh with regards to the the bible uh, not giving an age again i'll go to ezekiel 16 really quickly here uh, for example, it talks about uh, God compares Jerusalem to his wife and says, you know, and you grew up and became tall and arrived at full dormant. Your breasts were formed. Okay, again, according to the, um, 
midwifery and women's health nurse practitioner. That does not happen until 17 when the breasts have been fully formed in the girl. And scholars like Robert Alter, Mark Rooker, Mark Rooker, Rolf Alexander all note this is talking about after puberty. So God is sort of setting the standard that sex or lovemaking comes a period even after puberty because it says that God even passed by her again after the breasts had fully formed. So there's another period of waiting. And again, this is what I can see from scholars like Peter Gentry, Andrew Mine, T.M. Lemma, Stephen Wellam, David Gundell, Ralph Alexander, Robert Alter, all of them are pointing to this. And I'm out of time. Thanks. Yeah, you're not right. out of time. You're also out of your depth. So let's break down Jones's <laughs> deception and poor research. He essentially makes deception. three main arguments regarding Ezekiel 16, 7 through 8. And now, I was wondering at first, is he, is he attempting to deceive or is he just a bad researcher? But then he fixes it at the end of the video by saying something like, just to be clear, he, he, he's, he's, he's got poor research, but then he, he does deceive too on top of that. He wants it to make sure that you're, you're, you're a bad researcher and deceptive. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny with these Muslims. They are, they're such a chest-beating culture. You just can't disagree. They got to try to do all sorts of uh, character assassination tactics for you know to make you be this horrible evil person over disagreements on interpreting passages You're like wow you guys are like you guys really emotionally like, really emotionally insecure about this kind of stuff aren't you like this is an indefensible position in my opinion but i would still like appreciate someone taking this position first come out and just say and, and maybe daniel did i don't think so i don't remember this but just say Look, I realize at the jump that this sounds uh, absurd, but but just hang with me and I'm going to try to give you some reason. You know, at least an approach like that in, instead of the bombastic, you know, uh, mm -hmm. IP is just an idiot for thinking this way. That kind of not that anyone said that, but uh, that that sort of vibe. All right, uh, shall Look, we keep trucking? It's funny because oh. in the last video he said I was clever and wise, but now I'm, I'm just a bad researcher. And like, the guy just contradicts himself constantly. ...of marriage that is mentioned therein. One, the passage refers to, quote, full development of the mammary glands, i.e. the breasts mm -hmm. in females. Two, that this full development only occurs around age 17. Three, that God married the girl only after she had completed puberty. The conclusion thus appears to be that the age of marriage in the Bible is around age 17, which pretty much agrees with modern standards, which generally set ages 16 through 18 as the appropriate minimum age for marriage, depending on the country. What a coincidence. But is this how Jews and Christians have historically interpreted Ezekiel 16? Notice how Jones only cited modern scholars. As we will see, there is a reason for that, and Jones is desperately trying to hide it. Here is what Ezekiel 16, 7 through 8 states. The girl arrived at full adornment, and her breasts had formed. But notice the other trait that Jones conveniently omitted in his eisegesis. The girl's hair also grew. It is a consensus among scholars that this is referring to body hair and specifically her pubic hair, which as is well known, only grows at the onset of puberty. According to Moshe Greenberg in his Anchor Yale Bible Commentary on Ezekiel, the verse is referring to the signs of puberty, namely breast growth and body hair. Notice also the close parallel between the verse and a Sumerian marriage poem. In both cases, they refer to the growing of breasts and pubic hair. We should also notice that the verse says nothing about full development of breasts. Jones just made this up. All right, you can pause it now. Why are you making All stuff right. up, Jones? 
<laughs> well, I didn't. Uh, so you got to look at the way these words are used in the Hebrew. So, you know, when it says you grew up, this uh, that verb there is used in Jonah 4.10 to refer to a fully grown tree that covered Jonah. It wasn't just partially. Genesis 25 it refers to when the boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob became a quiet man. So it refers to them becoming adults. Uh, this thing about breasts fully formed, where I'm getting that from, again, look at the way the verb is used. Okay, again, in Ezekiel 40, 43, it refers to hooks that have been fully installed. Ezekiel 7, 14 refers to be fully prepared for battle, not partially. Uh, so again, based in how these words are used, it te tends to refer to something that is a completed type process. I, and again, I, this is what... It, go ahead. I was trying to think of the word uh, kun, maybe, in Hebrew. I, th I think it's like firmly established carries with it that sense mm -hmm. of and as far as i know and my hebrew's trash folks so don't don't bank too much on this but of course the reason why as far as i understand the reason why we have were formed and had grown and i guess they would do that in the same with this, you know when they're translating uh, similar semitic languages and stuff it's it's hebrew is in the perfect tense and so when it's past time they'll they'll add you know had or were or something like that whereas if it's present time perfect tense it's has you know because the way you translate it so you're dealing with these perfect tenses but if it's past time perfect perfect tense in hebrew always carries with it the sense of completion anyway right it can so, it can it, it really depends on yeah. context and scholars debate about this per passage well sure but when you look at this context it's it's coming back to um you know after this process and so i would think that in context when i passed you again and saw you after breasts had been you know were formed had grown you know talking about pubic hair um it seemed it seems to me that it does have a it, the context itself does bear out this sense of completedness by the time the second passing happens wait a minute wait a minute well but, Wait a minute, wait a but minute. But again, wait a minute. not a Hebrew yeah, scholar. Yeah, your Hebrew is trash. Another reason why Christianity is inferior. Because Jonathan Prichett's Hebrew is trash. Christianity Therefore. is inferior. <laughs> I just want everyone to know that's the... Uh, that's yeah, the, uh, even though John Walton's Hebrew is not trash. <laughs> that John awesome? Walton's yeah. a beast. Right. Uh, yeah. But, but Prichard, you're there's uh, so many scholars that agree with you. I mean, Mark Rooker says in uh, Holman Old Testament commentary on Ezekiel, after she had matured beyond puberty, God spread the corner of his garment over her nakedness. Robert Alter says the infant girl has passed puberty. Uh, Ralph H. Alexander in Ezekiel, the um, uh, Expeditor's Ex Bible Commentary, under his gracious care, Jeru Jerusalem grew to full maturity as a city. David Gundell in Before You Get Engaged says Ezekiel 16 suggests that a marriageable age came somewhere after puberty. Peter Gentry and Stephen Wellam say in God's kingdom through God's covenants, much later after puberty, uh, God passes by a second time and sees a young woman ready for adornment in marriage. Andrew Mine in Ezekiel in the Ethics of the Exile says, others have suggested that it's menstrual blood since the girl has passed puberty. T.M. Lemos says in Violence and Personhood in Ancient Israel, that girls were married at or after puberty is the impression one gets from Ezekiel 16. Okay, in the um, Life Application Study Bible, New American Bible, they say this message reminded Jerusalem of its former uh, despised status among the Canaanite nation, using the imagery of a young baby growing to mature womanhood. God reminded her that he raised her up. Uh, you can also see similar things in the New Interpreter Study Bible, New Revised Standard Version with Apocrypha. Uh, so 
I, just me doing a quick survey of the scholars and things they've written about, uh, scholars, theologians, uh, they all tend to say this is referring to when she's ready for lovemaking, it's after puberty. It's after uh, these processes, the hair has grown, the breasts has grown. She's at full adornment. All of these have been completed. So yeah, this is what this is. And then the coming showing. back and, to it thing, it, it just like we've said, that just adds all the more to it. I think you're coming yeah. back later. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't know your, your narrative there, your explanation doesn't, it may be what all these scholars that you have there say, but it, it doesn't fit the narrative apparently that we're trying to go for, I guess. But, uh, but let's keep trucking. For a second, that this is what the verse really meant. How would an ancient audience have known exactly when breasts have fully developed? Did the Jewish rabbis perhaps have come to an agreement as to when that was? Not at all. In fact, they were all agreed that the verse was referring to a much earlier time than age 17. The Talmud mentions some of the different opinions. Nida 47 mentions three opinions, none of which mention anything about full development. It also refers okay, to the there. The breasts had sufficiently, the breasts grow sufficiently so that a fold appears below the breasts. Okay, this is not, this is not, this is, I have rarely seen girls 12, 13 like this. Like typically it's referring to, look, they have sufficient, you wait for a time for them to grow. So this is working against them. This is not something that you see at the onset of puberty, like 12 or 13. Mm -hmm. So it's talking about breast sag on the next line. Like uh, how, so yeah, they probably didn't know the exact age, but if you again read Michael Satlow's book, they had to, they had to wait for a, a time after there was maturity, average age, Jewish women in this time period were marrying in Palestine, late teens, early twenties. Amram Troper says the same thing in his paper. So again, right, this is well, just well, let, 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 let's, let's stop and remember, this is a problem that, that I typically run into, uh, just as a professor, uh, when, when you talk to people, let's remember what we're reading in the Talmud, the time period, 200 to 500 CE, you know. A lot of people think, and they get confused about what's going on in the Bible, as if Hebrew thought in the Exodus is the same as Hebrew thought in captivity, or during the time of David, or that Hebrew thought was the same in the first century as it was at different centuries throughout, like, like it never changes. That's false, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, 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 you will get lost. And this is, and so by the time you get to the Talmud writers, what they are talking about within categories that are post proliferation of Hellenism, even if they're writing in Hebrew, right? I mean, you can't unring that bell, right? That, that's already happened. And so they also have their own, you know, a whole set of ways that they exegete the scripture, if they're even interested in the point of any of these passages at all, and all of their arguments and stuff. So I'm always skeptical when you have any sort of commentary, you know, going back and say well these are what as if hebrew thinkers in 200 ce mm -hmm. are identical mm -hmm. to hebrew thinkers you know yeah but you're just forming all your opinions about the ancient world and ip's already told us based on what the scholars say well i know but and see, as jay well, the guy has had just ripped, said the guy had yeah ripped, but the scholars are hang in on, on the conspiracy hang on but the, but the guy had ripped <laughs> the guy had ripped on jones for citing all of these modern scholars, yeah. who, by the way, also have 
way more access to ancient materials, both canonical and then just in the neighboring nations, way more access to put together a, co co a coherent understanding of the ancient worldview that is not necessarily the same worldview that you had That's right. three to 500 yeah. years yeah, that's a good point. After the first century, mm -hmm. right? So to, to, to give an example, um, for example, you're right. I mean, there's so much more context now that modern scholars have that the rabbis didn't have. Like for Rashi said that God Dagon or Dagon was a fish deity because he connected it to the Hebrew word for fish. We now know from studying ancient texts at Emmer, that's just false. He was a grain deity and pictures of Dagon online are actually pictures of a uh, Upkalu at the temple of Ninurta with like this fish hat on thing. So... Again, ra rabbis often made mistakes because they lost the context of the ancient Near East that we now have today, thanks to modern archaeology. You can know a lot about, for example, the Jewish feast that the rabbis didn't know about from studying texts at Emmer that Richard Hess highlights in his book. Uh, so a lot of this context was lost to them. So that needs to be pointed out, and this is why we need to rely on modern scholars that have this context. The rabbis are still useful, but I mean, let's be honest about what's going on here. The modern scholars have a lot more material they can work with. And let's be honest that these rabbis in the Talmud don't agree on them. I mean, it's all arguing. No. <laughs> it's all just a bunch of arguments. Bar Abba, who said the verse referred to the time when a fold appears beneath the breast. This appears to be a reference to what physicians refer to. I just got to tell you, I, I know, you know, we've been laughing about this and we've already pointed out this is a horrific thing to be, you know, to, to still be being uh, argued, I guess. But the thing, the thing that I want to say is I've got a, a 12 year old at home right now. And I have a 15-year-old at home right now. And if anybody, the notion that anyone who knows 12-year-olds, 12-year-old girls, thinks that, th that, they, that this is a potential sexual partner for you, it's sick, man. Yeah. That's sick. Mm -hmm. And this sort of thing just ticks me off something fierce i've got a 12 year old daughter you want to think about a 12 year old daughter as a, a as a set as a person for you to experience sexually this is just it's just so sick it's gross yeah. and well, this is I, the I, depths I, they're I, going through this is the depth I, they're going to to defend child marriage there's also a leap here that when we when, when it gets into discussing the talmud that tells us what they were thinking at their time period it doesn't tell us what people were thinking when ezekiel was writing right i mean we already established mm -hmm. that but it also, but it does give us an insight to what they were thinking, right? Mm -hmm. and, and their debates. And Michael Heiser made the point, you know, he's like, well, the reason why Christians approach the Old Testament different than Jews approach the Hebrew Bible, he said, one time he said, you know, it's fine that they want to sit there and argue with the text and argue with each other over the text and go back and forth and take the text. He says, but that won't do for Christianity who believes differently about the Bible, which is why he, you know, Heiser would, was insisting on, we have to do the most robust form of grammatical, historical, you know, <clears throat> hermeneutics that we can to understand that because we are, this is not, Christianity is not Judaism. Mm -hmm. We don't have their tradition of going back and forth with a text and disagreeing with text and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But what we're about to read with the, with the, with the or what he's going to read from the Talmud, um, that gives us an insight of what they were interested in at the time, trying to yep. be Jews post 70. It, it doesn't, it, it doesn't do more than that. But there's also this assumption by him that I want to set this up before you get into it. It's as if, let's say at the earliest, that a woman has completed puberty on her, the day after her 12th birthday, her breast reform, all the pubic hairs there. She's ready to go. He's acting as if 
day one of being a considered a, a mature woman is wedding ceremony happens instantaneously yeah. after that. And that's unrealistic. Yes, it is. Just because even if at worst case scenario, you could say, well, maybe at even though even though one of the sources can see is there's no approximate age there. They're just guessing. But even if you conceded as early as 12, mm -hmm. it doesn't even follow from that. that Therefore, 12 year olds were just in mass getting married the day after their 12th right. birthday. All right. Let's keep trucking. Mm -hmm. huh? The infra mammary fold. According to a 2000 paper in the journal Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery, the inframammary fold is detectable. I never needed to know the term inframammary fold. Hold on. Look, look at what this says, though. It begins to define the inferior ex extent of the breast. Okay, what did the rabbi say? When the breasts have developed so much, they begin to sag. So he's point. He's citing a paper on the beginning of this process, whereas the rabbis are talking more about a, this process has gone on for a while. Yeah. Wow. The, the places, the subjects that theology takes us to discuss. The onset of puberty. <laughs> Thus, the Jewish sages did not think Ezekiel 16 was referring to a time of full development around age 17. But let's say they were wrong, and Jones and his crew of modern eisegesis scholars are right. No, no, okay. That, again, the scholars who, who know the languages, who've gotten the degrees, who've written the books, they're all just doing eisegesis. And, this guy and who knew more about... And who knew more about Israel's context than the rabbinic scholars he's going to be citing here soon. <laughs> he's been misquoting. Yeah, he's been misquoting them yeah. at this point. Yeah. So he can't even get his own sources right. The definition of full development means, and how would it have been known to an ancient audience? Jones also appears to be completely unaware that full development actually occurs only here when a woman becomes pregnant and gives birth. Numerous peer-reviewed journals and medical sources acknowledge this. For example, a paper in the journal Maturitis. So some women never reach puberty? Is that or never complete puberty? Is that what we're saying? Because puberty is only reached when you're pregnant? Is that what I'm hearing? It's just that's what he's trying to argue. Is that what he's saying? Surely I'm missing this. IP. No, that's how bad this is. You know? No, but, but, listen, all right. You're gonna take up for this. Well, what Somebody, he's trying to say do. is what he what he goes on to say is, well, there here's a study that says breast development isn't fully formed until usually after the first or second pregnancy. And he's saying that he and so he goes back and says there are people who couldn't possibly have meant that when they were talking about fully formed if they were virgins and had never had sex oh, or pregnant. Gotcha. That's okay. what he's trying to say. So that's here. a little better. Okay. Well, but what mm. this but this is my point is when I watch this is okay. What you're, this is a nothing burger. What you're going on here? Yeah, ex exactly. And I'll, I'll it's a huge nothing burger that you're trying to pass it off as this has some sort of bearing on any. It's like you know, it's like what's your point? Well, in from memory, because <laughs> when he when he delivers his point, you're like, and yeah. Well, I learned, I learned something from it in the terminology department. Well, it's good that you should that read I'm these studies. Share with my wife you tonight. should read these studies yeah. about boobs. That's development I mean. is a progressive process that begins at the embryonic stage and is only completed at the end of the first pregnancy. This is reiterated by another paper in the journal of clinical anatomy. The authors state that full maturation only occurs during a pregnancy slash lactation cycle. And I'm not done yet. Tabor's Cyclopedic Medical Dictionary, a common reference used by medical students, states that it is during pregnancy that hormonal changes lead to complete development of the alveoli of the breasts. Even Serranus of Ephesus, whom Jones cited a few times in the debate, was aware of this. According to Paul Newman in his book, Growing Up in the Middle Ages, 
When discussing the characteristics of a proper wet nurse, Serrano's advised that she should already have given birth two or three times so that her breasts were fully developed. So, if Ezekiel that's 16 not, was referring to... Well, that's, that's not what he knew, the same thing as those scientific studies. What he knew is what every man already knew in the history of the planet. You know, <laughs> after your wife gets pregnant, you the boobs get bigger and you're like yeah. happy about it. You know, that's, I don't... Well... That, Jonathan, he's this is a confusing. clinical discussion. I know, but I'm just saying he's trying to say that this that what he, what this guy knew is what what the scientific yeah no what yeah. that guy he knew. could open his eyes and look and right it's like well, those are bigger than they used to be yeah and every yeah. after subsequent <laughs> pregnancies yeah well what oh, he's confusing he's, he's conf I did not open this can of worms I'm just you know sorry IP sorry IP so, yeah he's confusing. The, what puberty does to breasts and then what pregnancy does to breasts. There right. are pro different processes here. That should be obvious. And I'll just read from a source I read last time. Um, so this is what it says on page 287. Uh, what is the name of this book again? Yeah, Epidemiology of Chronic Disease Global Perspectives. Uh, in both male and females, immature breast tissues develop during embryogenesis in childhood. However, further development and maturation of the breast occurs exclusively in females in preparation for reproduction and lactation. Development and maturation of the human female breast begin at puberty, concurrent with the onset of anarchy, usually around 11 to 12 years of age, under the primary influence of ovarian steroidal hormones and the pituitary hormonal prolactation of complex networks of breast lobes, milk glands, and milk duct developments. These glandular structures are surrounded in interlaced by abundant uh, tissue. Mature breast development is typically complete by the age of 17 to 18. Additionally, in, on page 38 of, of uh, midwifery, midwifery and Women's Health Nurse Practitioner Certification Review, they say once again that uh, breast development begins with breast buddings around the age of nine, progresses to, uh, to conical shape, followed by full development of breasts with round contour around the age of 17. Uh, so again, there is a process that is complete with puberty. You have additional development later, but again, what is Ezekiel talking about? He's talking about a time before lovemaking, before sex, before you can get to these additional processes, just the initial process that we get from puberty. So this Muslim here is confusing. He's, he's equivocating on different processes here. We're talking about the, pro the, the what puberty does to girls, and there is a point where that is complete. Oh, my goodness. Uh, <clears throat> let's see what we have here. Kevin says real quick, I tune in and it's just five minutes of talk about <laughs> boobs. Don't, don't get me wrong. I am a man, so I am appreciative as the, of boobs as the next guy, but I just wasn't expecting on this channel. Yeah, this has probably been the most uh, anatomy talk that has happened here in a while. <laughs> let's keep trucking. Development at around age 17, then it will become nonsensical since how could the girl already be pregnant? That is the time when full mammary development and maturation would occur. This proves that Jones's interpretation is absolutely incorrect. Let's go back to the Jewish sages for the correct interpretation. Barakah 24a. In Let's go back I to the Jewish sages for the correct. For correct. Yeah, yeah, like, here's the key to here's the Here's the correct interpretation from a source where they all disagree on the correct interpretation. <laughs> okay, so we're not dealing, I mean, Okay. Babylonian yeah. Talmud states that the verse Stick with the boobs. He's doing better with the boobs. Onset of puberty, <laughs> not his completion. This is reiterated in Kedushin 81b. One last point. Jones maintains that Ezekiel 16.8 
means that God passed by the girl at some point after puberty. He only cited a few modern scholars in support and not one ancient authority. <laughs> he only cited a Again, few. Well, it's a live only... debate. It's, you don't have time to cite all your it, sources, right? That's all I was trying to say. No, I, I, don't I didn't know. have time to cite all my sources. You know, obviously. I did, it's a bad it did, like I said, again, I just say the ancient authors are wrong on this. And again, because modern scholars have pointed out the context shows this is again about a period after puberty. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking the context shows. And, and of course, when, when you. Again, it seems like that matches up well with the way that they had it translated anyway when they were dealing with the past time and, and the, the, the present tense when it's just were formed. But I think a lot of it goes, let's go back to the context. It was passing by again at a second time. It seems like that's after, you know, yes, in, in after sequence, after this has time. happened yeah. and completed. And, and of course, another thing is in this text, I noticed that there's a phrase there, you know, the, the arrived at full adornment. Some people translate it, uh, reached menstruation. Other people just say at full maidenhood or whatever. The, the, the actual word is just ornament of ornaments. And it, everyone's like, what do we do with this? Right? So it seems like translators are trying to figure out how to translate that phrase. And so whatever that phrase means, we also have to con consider. Because they're like, it doesn't make sense in English, and it really didn't make that much sense in Hebrew. But it could have been a flourish, just like, so beautiful, or she's or something like Right. Mm -hmm. um, but there's, it also might be, I think, what was, I was reading the, the word biblical commentary, and, and I think they were saying that it also could be, you know, just a, a scribal, fluff up and it could be other words so there's like we don't even know what that phrase really means but they come to these things that arrived at full adornment or full maidenhood or whatever because the translators are still at the point that yes in the technical commentaries we don't know what this means but the consensus is it has something to do with fullness complete you know yeah. reach full maidenhood that's why all the English translations go that because it's like well, whatever an ornament of ornaments means, it seems like it makes the best sense out of this whole context, including all those eisegetical scholars that Michael states that this happened after puberty. Is, the reason why they all say that is because it makes the most sense. And um, Oh, I, f I forgot to read a line from this book on epidemiology. Right after I mentioned mature breast development is typically complete by the age of 17, 18 they then say during the first pregnancy, the milk glands undergo further maturation in preparation for lactation. So they're noting this is a different process. This what he is talking about earlier in this video. Back to the boobs after talking about the Bible. It's <laughs> <laughs> just simple. Miracle of reinterpretation. No ancient authority would have agreed with this claim. For example, the Christian scholar or talking just, about miracles the, the, of reinterpretation, you go to origin. <laughs> as as alexandrian as you can get there's <laughs> streams there's streams i love origin by the way don't I, it, it, great read but i mean you know um, a lot of heaps of salt yeah the david wood yeah, thing definitely. just makes me want to say again about this the, the the timing here he needs to work on timing i think in these videos ip you could help him with that you're excellent on timing uh, but uh, let's see. Let's go ahead with this. Did you have something else to say real quick, IP? No, we can continue. We're almost through this one. God came at the time of puberty 
which is when the girl was ready for love and also to be led astray. That is because in Jewish teachings, it is only at puberty that a girl or a boy would become responsible for their actions, such as fornication. It should also be borne in mind that Ezekiel 23 clearly states that the nation of Israel, represented by the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, were already sexually active while in Egypt. This is a metaphor for okay. idolatry. This, this is, is one of the most interesting verses in the Bible. This is like the best chapter you go read to little old ladies at, at your church when they, you know, it's like. Yeah, real okay. quick, I do have to say this because I said this to Jonathan on the way back over here. I was like, yeah, but the little old ladies, here's the thing, is the little old ladies in most churches, I think if you got people 50 years old and older and you said, should the Bible receive a G rating or what rating should it receive? I think most of the people in that church, they might argue between a PG-13 and an R rating, but they've heard from preachers that they've read the Bible themselves. The reason that when atheists come out and they make all these videos and TikTok saying, look, the, the, you know, the Bible should, should, is so horrible. You're going to read this to your kids. You're going to read this to your kids. If you, the old people, when that person who walked away from Christianity and started making those videos, if they had just listened more they would have heard all that because the old people already know that. That's not a shock. They know that there's. They know about onanism. They know about uh, all the violence. They know. They know all this stuff. It's not surprising. The Bible isn't just made for kids. Well, I, I'm just you know, saying. Whenever in a Baptist in a Southern Baptist church with 200 or fewer people, yeah. right, and they want to get on to you about your potty mouth, you read this. Read this it. one to them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> go ahead, uh, IP. IP. Speaking so of potty mouth, go ahead. This Muslim is shooting himself in the foot because this passage is about Israel acting sinful. So if they're if they're playing the whore in Egypt in their youth, that's bad. Um, this is not something God is endorsing. Why would you bring this up as if this is evidence that God was okay with youth sleeping around? Like, did you read it? Like, he constantly does this where he takes passages wildly out of the context to support these obscure fringe interpretations. But he's trying to say that they are, uh, it's uh, whatever you think about what God thinks about this. Clearly, God knows that at this point they have a, a person has reached sexual maturity if they're able to engage in sex with other people. But that's that there's nothing about even there. There's nothing about this that God is like endorsing. this, Right. Right. Like you can you can see like a 14 or 13 year old, you know, be doing sexual activity they shouldn't do. And we would condemn that. That doesn't mean we would say it directly for the age of lovemaking or sex, even though they might be engaging in it. Likewise, God is not saying that, yes, they're, they're clearly okay at the age for lovemaking. Uh, so mm -hmm. this is a very weird passage to bring up. It's, it's like shooting yourself in the foot. The time period when they entered puberty. It's like wetting yourself in the foot? Shooting yourself in the foot. Shooting, okay, I just want to make sure. Yeah. This doesn't say anything Ezekiel about Ezekiel 16, 7 states, their breasts grew. As Greenberg explains, this sinful behavior occurred before marriage. Even though it was wrong, it proves that the girls yeah. are already mature. Yeah, so he's saying, yeah, it's wrong, but it does show that they were mature. What it shows is that they were capable of having, of technically having sex. Yeah. And that's not, but that doesn't mean that's a good thing. And, that and, and, and neither that right. commentary nor the passage is anything about puberty. Yeah. No. Put it schematically like this. In Ezekiel 16, 7, the, the girl enters puberty. Then God passes by and notices the beautiful pubescent girl. Okay, he well, proposes begging the question on 16-7. for the Sinai Covenant. Yep. So, even though the marriage occurred shortly after the girl entered puberty, not when puberty was complete, it still doesn't exonerate the biblical God, because as the Newhart commentary puts it, he was sexually attracted to this girl.
closing. Notice that Egyptian, Egypt does not mention Ezekiel 16. That's a different analogy. So you're conflating analogies in Ezekiel. Ezekiel uses tons of analogies. They're not all meant to refer to the same processes or same idea. So again, it's like it's a, it's a nothing burger. Yeah, and I don't think he made his his case uh, on no. on on the onset of puberty as opposed to the completion of pu- puberty. In order to presume it here. Yeah, in order to presume it here. There's like no, that's that's not you, you didn't you didn't get there, buddy. But we did get another Angry Bird picture, and this one it says that he got an F in, in research. Oh, and he's a dunce, but also very wise and clever. So that's, uh... yeah, and, <laughs> and beat the guy that. <laughs> if Michael Jones yeah. was to be graded Let, on his, let's entertain these comments real quick. He would deserve an F. Poor and selective research, and a little bit of arrogance and deception. All right, okay, all right. All right. The, so, the irony, considering what he just did. The, the poor irony. and selective research. We're going to go to Talmudic Arthur's. We're going to go to Origin after we make a <laughs> reinterpreta- miracle of reinterpretation joke that, that I mean, uh, it did not dawn on him that maybe I shouldn't say Origin next. <laughs> you know, after Paul. I mean, I don't know, man. He, well, did, oh. did you also notice that he he's quoting modern scholars? But when I quote modern scholars, well, they're just doing eisegesis. Do you see the double yeah. standard he constantly does? Like it's this is and yeah, but you know you're right. I mean he 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 put quotes from rabbis on the screen that contradict what he was trying to say. Like it's just yeah. bad. so so we have we have Tam, the Talmud rabbis. We have one semi-modern scholar from the guy that uh, wrote the Yale Anchor Bible Commentary and Origin. Mm-hmm. so bam michael i mean this is not selective but everything you said and, and everything or- we've said in this the program the is obviously- on his point about reinterpretation <laughs> right i mean just oh yeah oh okay okay folks it- if you're convinced that that he he deserves an f um we do have crayons for the kids table in the back for you to sit at and and with construction paper. yeah and when you finally meet reach maturity and and stuff maybe you can come to sit at the grown-ups table and have a um ip is there another video here you want to get to the the one on the talmud because this is where he uh helps me to pump daniel without realizing it i'm uh, putting out daniel doesn't understand what he's doing and I'll, I'll put a quote i have a quote here from daniel once we get to that one because this one's a shorter pod- one but for the podcast i just want to say uh you won't see this but gregory fisher who uh says he preached Ezekiel 16 boobs hair and all turned it into one of my best evangelistic sermons we'll praise the lord well boobs will win um, to Jesus won't they yeah i yeah there's a <laughs> there's a there i will say this there i was listening to a reformed guy talk and he he said i don't know if this is true but he said there was some research that said that like a certain percentage like he said 20% I, that sounds high but he said 20% of any audience of over 100 any church on church service on sunday morning 20% of them are thinking about sex instead of the service. And he said, it makes me just want to walk up to the pulpit and go, cut it out. <laughs> you know, that's, that's how you feel. <laughs> well, let's keep trucking with this. He cited the Talmud, but the Talmud, for example, Kiddush, I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Kiddushin uh, 41a says that it's forbidden for a man to marry off his daughter when she is a minor until she is well grown. Here we go again. Jones is caught red-handed, misquoting yet another source. This time, me. it's the Talmud. He cited Kedushin 41a to prove that the Jewish scholars prohibited minor marriage. 
But this is just another example uh, of Christian colonists applying their anachronism I, to a particular- Whoops. I was not saying that. Again, the Talmud is a huge collection of different different rabbis disagreeing constantly, and Muslims like Daniel treat it like it's like a unified document that doesn't contradict. My point in the debate was, let me just quote what Daniel said. He said, around 20 minutes in, he said, in ancient Jewish norms, a man can marry and have sex with a girl as young as three. This ruling is found in the Talmud. And I was going to, my point was, look, there are other uh, rulings in the Talmud that said, no, you got to wait for the girl to mature. Obviously, a three-year-old is off limits. Ironically, this Muslim is going to help me show Daniel did not know what he was talking about here. So this is just one of, this is how the, da the damage control has been going for Muslims lately. They're, they're, they're trying so hard, they're actually making Daniel look bad. He cited Kedushin 41a to prove that the Jewish scholars prohibited minor marriage. But this is just another example of Christian apologists applying their anachronistic interpretations to ancient sources. Did Jones consider what the rabbis meant by minor girl? We know what the modern definition would be. A minor is anyone under the age of 18. But is that how the rabbis defined a child? No. Let's begin by looking at what Kedushin 41a states. The reason for the prohibition of marrying off one's minor daughter was due to consent. A minor girl would not be able to consent to the marriage. The same reasoning Three was actually old. given by the scholars of Islam. Imam al-Nawawi cited Imam Shafi'i to show that it was encouraged for fathers and grandfathers not to marry off their daughters until they were mature and could consent to the marriage. Other scholars like Ibn Shubrama were even more emphatic. He stated that it was not permissible to marry off one's daughter until she reached puberty and could give permission. Back to well, that's not what Daniel said in the debate. Notice the town was stated that Dan a man named... That's not what we see. Remember, in... remember... <laughs> Go ahead. Either. Well, notice yeah. what Daniel said in the debate. Daniel, I, I asked Daniel, like, precocious puberty is young in 4-3, and he was like, he's like, yeah, parents will be involved. I mean, so... Again, yeah, his, his, his stopgap to that was to say, well, yes, that might be technically if they're showing signs of maturation or whatever, but then, but their parents would step in and stop that. Hold on. Why? Why would the parents step in? Well, because it's evil. Well, wait a minute. If, if Yahweh's okay, or if, sorry, if Allah is okay with it, as long as uh, you have uh, signs of maturity, then why should the parents not be okay with it? Now, we know that the parents probably won't be okay with it in most cases, but it's just most. an interesting way to try and get out of it by having the parents seem more moral than, the, than be the moral uh, stopgap in this situation. Yeah, and we know from history that's not happened. We know from history that sometimes girls have been sold at young ages to mm -hmm. predators. I mean, so. Mm -hmm. When she is a young woman. This corresponds to the Hebrew word na'ara. Now, the question is, did the Jewish sages assign a particular age to the stage of young womanhood? Yes, they did. In Nidda 47a, it states that the sages divided development in females into three stages. Minority, young womanhood, and grown womanhood, comparing these stages metaphorically to an unripe fig, a ripening fig, and a ripe fig, respectively. Notice that young womanhood was considered to have begun when a girl was 12 years and one day old. So, when the rabbi said it was prohibited to betroth a minor girl, they meant someone under the age of 12. At or oh, above see, age 12 there, was fine. There we go. He's just thrown Daniel under the bus, like I said, because Daniel said in the debate that the Talmud said uh, Jewish norms can marry and have sex with a girl as young as three. So here he is refuting Daniel for me and helping me. 
And also, Jesus disagrees with the Talmud. In Mark 5, 42, Jesus refers to a 12-year-old as a little girl. So according to Jesus, this little girl is not a full-grown woman. So take it, take that for what it says. By the modern definition, that would still be child marriage. And by the way, the specific age of 12 for the age of majority, or young womanhood, was just one opinion. As stated in Barakat 24a, there were different views as to when this stage began, ranging from as low as 3 years and 1 day to as high as age 11. But notice how only yeah. one view was based on biblical evidence, citing Ezekiel 16.7. One rabbinical view was that the age of majority is simply whenever puberty begins, i.e. So this of is again him throwing Daniel under the bus because Daniel was treating the Talmud as if it's like a big collective source. Here he's admitting and agreeing with me the Talmud disagrees often. You can't treat it like it's like this big collection of everything that just agrees with itself or that it's a everything in the Talmud is somehow like a legally binding command or something. Yeah, it's yeah. not the answer key. It's not like the teacher's manual for I mean, it may it's not the ultimate teacher's manual for the uh, yeah, Torah. So you have three, 11, 12. Uh, we're just approximating anyway. You got all that. So, you know, you know what you can take all that from all that? Not helpful. <laughs> That's what you take away from all these. Uh, That's the Arkansas way, way post of it. Ezekiel's time anyway, talking mm -hmm. about this stuff. And notice he, you know, going into this stuff. But I, I read all of this actually when I watched the, when when Braxton sent me the video and was like, "Watch this, we're talking about." It. I'm like, "Okay, so what, <laughs> what they're really talking about here is." Okay, if you're laying in bed with somebody, uh, how much clothes can you have on? And is it okay to say the Shema? Whether you're, <laughs> I mean, really, this has nothing to do with the subject. But, but then you know they just kind of throw in Ezekiel sixteen seven because it mentions, uh, well, we're talking about puberty and 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 how old people are when they reach certain ages, and you know, yep. right here. Well, you. You get a citation yeah, of Ezekiel sixteen seven where it says the age is approximate, right? Yeah. Later on in this video, he'll show where the guy says three years old and say that was the only one who used biblical support for the position was the guy who said three, which is actually not the case because here's the other rabbis. So he kind of fluffed that, but okay. Well, I mean, also Michael Satlow in his book notes that these ages, they're not practical. Okay, so he says on page 109, the rabbis, we have assumed, know that their ideal ages for marriage did not correspond to what they typically saw around them. Uh, these are not what people were actually doing in the rabbinic period. These were ideal ages. They were used for other purposes. Uh, and he notes that, again, girls were marrying late teens, early 20s. In um, Babylon, it could be, or it could be early teens. Uh, but in Palestine, again, the culture that Jesus was around, late teens. So, no, this doesn't work. All right, uh, almost to the end it, of this It tells one. you what they Not thought at the time they were composing this stuff. Oh, that's the end. There's just some Oh, where's the part where he... Did you edit uh, or something? Because no. there was a part where he talks about the... Um, one says early as three, and yet he was the only one who used... Maybe that was in a different video. I don't know, maybe a different video. Because one of the videos is like, and only one of them used biblical support with these... But, that one used biblical source, so I, I, that threw me off. So, uh, in summary, IP, and then we'll take some questions if there are any. Uh, what would you say? Well, I mean, this guy has been obsessed with me for months, constantly taking things out of context. 
uh, one video he accused me of quote of cherry picking because I quoted a rabbi for my support my case, and it's like that's not what cherry picking is. And here he is quoting rabbis constantly. Uh, so uh, it, again, this guy is he's he'll throw anything against the wall and hope it sticks. He'll use tactics in in one video that he will say are bad tactics in another video. He'll quote modern scholars, but if I quote modern scholars, it's eisegesis. He'll quote uh, rabbis, and if I don't quote rabbis, that's bad, but then he won't quote the rabbis for Numbers 31. And he's just very uncharitable. I'm not really going to try to engage with him anymore, and I'm just going to use this as a reference video. I think people bring him up to show the dishonest tactics here. Uh, this is not a serious contender. I'm already living rent-free in his head at this point, and um, I'm going to move on to more important topics. Right on. And uh, here's a super chat that we mentioned earlier from Jim Amberg. And he says, I, I never, I don't know where to put this. I never thought I'd have to say this, but thank you all for defending the fact that it is wrong to sleep with children. Yeah. I mean, there's a, just a, des uh, they just desperately want to, sh you know, and Hey, good on you for finding the ancient rabbi in the, you know, in the Talmud that was also kind of pedo creepy, but um that's that's all you've proven with that but it's just why this obsession you know <laughs> why do you want it to be okay they gotta exactly defend, it's, they gotta it's defend the terrifying okay christoph it's terrifying Keating. how far they're willing to it's just it's terrifying how far they're willing to go to defend the abuse of statutory rape of children and again i'll do my uh, review of daniel's review next week and you're going to see a lot of dishonest tactics about them hiding sources lying about what things say and just bad research. Yeah, it just yeah. reminds me of those people that are desperate to have drag queens twerk in front of kids and wave their junk. Why, why, why do you why are you fighting so hard for that? That's weird. Stop it. <laughs> okay, it's the same thing with these Muslims and and this stuff. This, uh, not all Muslims, but the Muslim apologists and this stuff. I mean, just stop. It's weird. You're creepy. This is a well thought out question that I'm about to put up. That is, um, that that uses a lot of nuance, and I do believe there's layers to it. Uh, to all of you, what would you do if your wife's left hand turned into the head of Joe Biden and her right hand turned into the head of Donald Trump? I would check myself into the Evansville Psychiatric Association. That's what I would do. I would, I would, I would take your DMT stash or whatever it is you're whatever on. Whatever it is, take it away from me. <laughs> take it away from you. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's Punchbowl haircut. We love him. Yes. All right. Uh, Christoph Keating I would think it was kind of cool. Like, are they going to fight? Are they one month of, mem of channel membership. Yay. He says, yay for booby talk. I think we got our quota. I hope we got our quota. Uh, here's some questions for IP. A couple of questions. I have a question for IP. What's it like to deal with the Muslim side instead of dealing with the atheists? You get a lot more of he's been destroyed. He's finished. He's the angry bird and dozens of insults with Muslims. It's it's his reason answered apologetics told me once it's, it's a very chess beating culture. It's not so much about finding truth. It's more about power. Uh, we need to be right regardless of what the evidence shows. We need to make sure all of our opponents look stupid and bad. But we'll call them clever and wise sometimes. Uh, but they all need to look horrible. They all need and then to play like a bigot if you treat them in kind. And then act like you're the yeah. bigot if you treat them in kind and act like their feelings are hurt and all this. I mean, I'm sorry <laughs> to these Muslim apologists. Look at me. Don't look at don't look at IP and Braxton. You can put the jihadis on me. You act like babies when you're treated the way that you treat others. It's effeminate. It's, it's a chest beating culture. I've seen them try literally anything to defend these weird 
Islamic apologetic argument, just insanity, like trying to say that the Old Test, Old and New Testament prophesies of Muhammad, and it's like, there is no Hebrew scholar that did not start as a Muslim, that did not come to this conclusion. No one comes to this ridiculous conclusion. So I find it like, again, I find it incredibly, I, uh, their argument's incredibly unconvincing. And like the other day, Apostate Prophet on his channel was saying like, we need to keep Daniel talking because he's showing people how bad Islam is. And I'm like, you know, in some regards, you're kind of right because this is just bad stuff. Well, have you gotten any uh, criticism that, well, debating him, you're punching down or anything like that? Has, has anyone no. tried to say, you, need to, you should have debated this so-and-so instead of that guy and all of that? <laughs> no, I mean, before the debate, uh, James Kuntz had Daniel on his channel, and he said that, uh, I'm very flattered by this, but James said, I'm the top Christian debater, and Daniel was the top Muslim debater at the time. And so I was very flattered by that. And so, yeah, I think it was perceived as punching down at the time though but i mean again he didn't look good in the debate because he didn't come prepared uh super interested in continuing these uh is ip super interested in continuing these kind of debates uh they seem so soul crushing to me <laughs> these <laughs> debates are undoubtedly important but i know i couldn't do even a single one haha <laughs> Yeah, they are. They can be kind of depressing when you're thinking about it, what you have to go up against. Like you're going against a grown man who's trying to defend nine year olds being married off. It's disgusting and horrible. Uh, and, you know, it's pure evil. Let's be honest. It's pure evil. Uh, and I'll show more of this when I do when I review Daniel's recent uh, debate review and show how the depth of deception they're willing to go to to defend raping and abusing children. Because uh, that's something... what their ultimate goal is to say that child marriage is OK. Uh, but There's something is else it's... that's evil. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I keep thinking you're done. Keep trucking. Oh, yeah. Let's just say answer the quick question. It's to answer this question or Kevin, uh, it's necessary. Uh, we need to defend children at all costs from this type of from predators and their apologists now in the Muslim community. And it's been a very it's been a very eye opening debate for a lot of people. I had I've got a lot of feedback from atheists, more con, uh, progressive or moderate Muslims and Christians. that I didn't realize how bad this was. And. You know, even Matt Dillhunty on his channel did a review. He's going to have a debate. He mentioned how he's going to have a debate with Daniel and just said, like, this was a needed debate to expose this kind of stuff. Great. So it's Amen. bringing it's bringing all the enemies together because we realize there's some greater evil out there that we need to deal with. And we need to protect children from predators and their apologists. So and good. quite now, now that Daniel has had this debate, if he keeps arguing for it, he's got no excuse. He cannot claim ignorance. And again, when I do my review, you're going to see a lot of deception in that debate review they posted. I actually dipped in to listen to Eric Hernandez talk about consciousness and AI. Sorry, I'm back now. Well, I mean, Eric I forgive you. This is a great yeah. evil as well, but I forgive you only because you're you're one of our favorite atheists on this channel and also because eric you did hernandez say that is you, the greatest living apologist of all time and so. you did say that you prefer this channel so yeah. that's that's great um you know ip i don't know that we really have anything else here for you to answer this sure has been a lot of fun you're a friend of the channel and you uh always will be until you do something horrific like like defend uh child having marrying children or something um then i can't support you anymore but for now i've fully sports you and i know you are uh, you know it's true what they said i think there is a little bit of a difference between live public debates and online debates uh but i will say that when i first came into the youtube realm i thought 
very quickly, I recognize that you are probably the William Lane Craig of the oh, online you. YouTube realm. That's too much, stuff. but appreciate it. Well, it's, 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 it, I understand why it sounds like too much, but in this domain, I think that I don't think there's uh, anyone that is a, thoroughly a YouTube apologist, but yet is doing uh, the best. I think you're doing the okay, best. Okay, this is just it. getting gross. Look, folks, if you <laughs> are like me and you, and you only watch one Christian apologist on YouTube, watch Inspiring Philosophy. Go to his YouTube channel, subscribe if you haven't. If you watch two, Obviously, you're watching the second greatest channel on YouTube, which is Trinity Radio. We thank you for uh, putting us second behind IP. I'm glad that you're here. If you are only here because IP is here, subscribe. And whether you watch videos or not, yeah. I don't care. Um, but we thank you all. We definitely are glad uh, Michael showed up. To, you remind uh, me of the Austin of the Powers yeah. first trailer ever for Austin Powers. It showed a Star Wars looking background and it said, if you only see one movie this summer see star wars but if you see two movies this summer oh yeah see Austin I think I saw that trailer. yeah is that where that just kind of it's way from mind? the back of your mind yeah anything you want to say real quick michael um no i will be doing um i'll be doing a big probably four hour hangout on my channel monday where i go through uh, i made a whole bunch of notes and i'm going to go through and show how they're getting their own sources wrong getting my sources wrong being deceptive and put to bed put to bed put the rest this whole defense of child marriage i mean i knew daniel was going to do this post debate review long before and i was already preparing for it so it'll be fun i got some more videos coming on my channel next friday i'll be posting a video on the cultural context of time in the bible and why it's a little different than how we understand time well i just want to i want everyone to know that if anything if anything was accomplished during this time we've had together it is that you have now been endowed with this title, Mr. The Angry Bird. And the wise, <laughs> Mr. Wise, punk angry bird. The punk, the wise, punk wise, angry, a, the punk wise angry bird. All right. With the dunce cap. And with that, <laughs> we'll see all of you next time on Trinity Radio.